Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your presence tonight. It matters when you're here. We're not the same when we come into your presence. We come one way and we leave another. And I'm so grateful to have that tunnel experience with you tonight of coming in one way but leaving differently. So I thank you. And I ask you tonight that you would bless the word that I'm bringing, uh, God, that uh, it would, we would benefit from it, that it's living, the word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. I pray that it does its work, and I commit to drop it all as you direct me to do so. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. My name's Randy. I'm the lead pastor here. If this is your first time, uh, hey, welcome. You won't, you won't be a, a visitor next time you come. I invite you to take, take part and have a latte and that kind of stuff when you come. Come early so you can do that. Uh, listen, when new things are presented, typically we push back. Have you noticed that? We kind of like the comfortable. We kind of like the old. It's funny to me that sometimes we're sitting in church, not this church, of course, but some other church, and we're sitting and you and man, they're doing that song again. Doing that song again. Oh, they're doing that song again. And then you go to a conference or somewhere where you're a different church or somewhere where it's not your regular place or whatever, and they're doing song. I don't know that one. I don't know that. And then they do that same old song that you were complaining about. Oh, I know that. Oh, glory. We're funny creatures, aren't we? So I want to tell you that tonight I want to talk about new, new things, new things. Usually the first response that everyone has embracing is embracing new things wholeheartedly, right? You say new and everybody goes, yeah, I want new. No, you don't. You're lying. It takes time to be accepted. It takes time for things to be drafted into the mainstay of our culture. There's different groups of people. Which one are you? There's those early adopted. These are the ones that, that are the first ones to try something new. And then they try to convince their friends to, to try it too. It's the best thing. Then there are those that tag along. They come later. And that's usually the bulk of society. That's most people are there. Then you have the stragglers, the latecomers, the ones that are right now discovering what the internet is. Don't look at anybody. You know if that's you. I just can't imagine not having the internet. I can't imagine how you get along without looking something up on the internet. But that's because I'm one of those early adopters. Sometimes that doesn't always work out. So when I say something is new, and I talk about a new way to do church, because that's what I'm saying tonight, a new way to do church, everybody's not head over heels, ready to go. And ready to do that and to fall in love with that idea. They're tired of how it's always been done, but please don't do anything that's new. You ever find yourself like that? Oh, yeah, let's do it. I'd like for us to go into it, but don't change anything. There's a saying that says change isn't change until it's change. I used to do a message with the kids where I would take a baby, baby doll, and I would open up, I'd say, oh, man, this, is, this 
it's packing a low fear. And pa- I mean, it's bad. It's bad. And I kind of pull that diaper down and I'd have Nutella in there. And that'd get a real reaction with the kids. And you get a real reaction with the kids. And I said, oh, man, I'm going to take care of that. And I take another diaper and put it on the top of it. Oh, it's still bad. And I put another diaper on top of that. That's not changing, is it? Change isn't change until it's changed. Well, I want to tell you tonight, we're in the middle of change. God's bringing change here. And we're in the middle of something new. Something new. Isaiah 43. I don't have slides, so you're going to have to look at your own Bible. Or take notes. Isaiah 43, 18 through 21. I know. I did it on purpose. You know this one. 18 says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls. Because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. It's a new thing. It's a new day. Being new in this instance is not really new. It's actually so old that it's new, what I'm going to talk about tonight. It's actually not as new as it is different. Different. I'm talking about different here. Lift Church is different. It's always been different. But there's a change in the air. And you're like, man, it's been changing like crazy here. Like, no, this is a new change. It's a new old and an old new. You'll, you'll figure it out here in a minute, Okay. It's a different place with a different philosophy and mode of ministry. We're not trying to be like everybody else. We're not trying to be like anything except ourselves and who God's called us to be. And I'm inviting you into that process because each one of you affects who we are. We're not just the sum of our collective presence here. We are a living organism that is connected one to the other. And if we're not connected, when someone leaves here and says, I'm not going to attend here anymore, I say, well, then you get connected because I am diminished if you are not connected to the body of Christ because I can't do what, you, what God's put on you to do. And so I'll say that to you. You're here on purpose. God has a plan for you to be here. And we are changed and new because of your presence. Talking tonight about a title is fences or wells. Fences or wells. We know that water's life, and we also know that life is Christ. And in order to experience real life, you got to experience Jesus Christ, right? We know that. We sung about it tonight. You are one thing. Only you, Jesus. Jesus, you're all I need. And the real way to experience Jesus Christ and experience him is a new way that is so new that it's so old. All the way back to the Garden of Eden, God shows us his destined plan. He created a world and he created man with the purpose of spending time with man. That was his purpose. 
And he did, oh, he did spend time with Adam and Eve. They walked in the garden together. That was the plan. It had to have been just wonderful, don't you think? Don't you imagine? God wanted and still wants to have a relationship with people. That's you. That's me. As crazy as it sounds, it's true. Usually people picture God as an unappeasable, crotchety, higher power that is always angry, waiting with lightning bolts, cocked, ready to fire. Now you're looking at me like, I, I, don't, I don't do that. He's not trying to separate us from him. He's trying to do everything he can since the beginning of time to draw us closer together with him. That's his goal. That's his plan. For his good pleasure, we were created. Male and female, we were created. For his pleasure, not for yours, but your pleasure will be found in being his pleasure. So he created the garden, and he created two trees. Remember that? Well, he created a lot of trees, but he had two special trees. One was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the other was the tree of life. Now, he told Adam and Eve they could eat from everything, including the tree of life, just not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So why did he even create that tree? Well, because true love and obedience is always a choice. There had to be a choice. We have to choose to love him and to follow him. With no choice, there's no true love. It's always a choice. And God loves humanity enough to give us a choice. You have a choice today. And I believe most of you have made the right choice. Look at this. Genesis 3, verse 4 and 5 says this. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, Eve did not eat the fruit to overthrow God. That wasn't her plan. She ate the fruit to be more like the one she loved. She loved God. She wanted to be more like him. She just, wasn't, she just went about it the wrong way. She thought she had a better idea. I've had a few better ideas that didn't turn out to be the correct ones. But when she ate, when she ate that fruit, their eyes were open. They began seeing with the knowledge. They stepped into the fence that was put up around them. They were living with a well of love, with a well of life, with freedom. And then they stepped into a fenced-in place. Fences or wells? Living in the fence is how most people think, act, teach, following Christ is. Most people. That's, that's, what they, that's what they use is this fence mentality. To live within the well, you got to have a, a whole new mindset. It's different. The fence gives specific boundaries and a specific set of parameters that make us more comfortable. The fence, see, because you are either in or you're out of the fence, is very clear, has a boundary, has a parameter. It's easier that way. In fact, there have been entire denominations formed and operated on fences. 
Your fence is not where our fence is, so we're going over here and we're going to put up another fence that fits our ideas. Because we eat out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we think we can be holier or get closer to God by setting up more fences. So in the name of good, we eat out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and think that the more we go to church, the holier we are. And the less you go to church, the less holy you are. Come on, you know you thought that. That's, that's living in a fence. We argue over doctrines of clapping. I love it when someone breaks out to a clap, especially in this room, because you can't deny it. It's going to happen. Usually it's Sam. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Then I, then I want to get going, and then everybody stops. And I say, oh, was it time to stop? I didn't know it was time to stop. Or raising your hands. Oh, my goodness. Don't be offended by someone raising their hands. That's another fence that people put up. They split over once saved, always saved. They split over speaking in tongues or not speaking in tongues. They split whether a Christian can have a demon. And the list goes on and on and on and on, all of which are eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not eating from the tree of life. Did you know that Adam and Eve could have eaten from the tree of life? He didn't ban that one. But the fact that he had to remove them from the garden so that they would not eat from the tree of life means they hadn't. If they had have eaten from the tree of life, they probably would have never considered that other tree. So in the name of good, we eat out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and think that we're, we're better or less than somebody else. It's a deception. And it will fail because you can't get to God with knowledge. Knowledge is not the path to him. We think and have been taught that knowledge and outward conformity and compliance gets us closer to God, yet the Bible shows something very different. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4 through 6, and I'm reading from the ESV. Such is the confidence, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 through 6, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, of the, uh, not of the letter but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Crossing the T's and dotting the I's is not what gives us life. It's not what sets us free. That is only by Christ. It is the grace of God and the sacrifice of Christ, right, that sets us free. But for some reason, it makes no sense that we say that, but then we live like we have to earn it. We shout grace from the mountaintops and all declare, yes, it is by grace. We can't earn it. But then the way we live lines up more with the Pharisees and the religious 
scholars of the Bible than anything else. We say grace and freedom, but then judge whether someone is holy or not, or even right with God, not by, not by what God says, by what clothes they wear, what food they eat, what liquids they drink, and the company they keep. I want to tell you that grace is in this house, and the day's coming because I'm praying it in, and I hope you are too. When who knows who's going to walk through the door and I'm going to receive them. I'm going to receive them because God receives them. He's waiting on them. He's calling and wooing them in. He's saying, come, come and dine. See the master's calling. And it may not be in this room. It might be in an outreach that we're doing. It might be at the restaurant that I'm eating at. But he's saying, come, come, come. And I want to be his calling card. To say, come. I don't care what color your hair is or if you even have any hair. I don't care if you smoke. I don't care if you're overweight or you're underweight or you're hooked on drugs because God can set you free. And he wants to. John 5, in NIV 5, I'm going to read verse 39 and 40. Jesus said this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I know some people that hide behind their Bible and they know the word really good. They don't know Jesus. They're not living with Jesus. They're bound up. In the letter of the law. Here's what happens when you live in the fence. I've got a couple of things. Let me show you three quick things that are characteristic of living inside the fence. And I'm trying to get you out of the fence. Number one, victim. You become a victim. You see yourself as a victim. Genesis 3.12. The man said, the woman you put me here, here with, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Poor me. I'm a victim. See, living out of the wrong tree, living inside the fence causes us to blame others. We don't take responsibility for our own actions. It's how I was raised, how my parents treated me, the neighborhood I grew up and the church I went to, the friends that I hung out with, the things I was taught. We know it. We throw it around wherever we can, but never under any circumstances, say we were wrong or sinned or we're sinning. What it does is it displaces our responsibility and it makes us victims of our circumstances. And if we never take responsibility, then we, we can act as holy as we want, but we are unable to take the very first real step towards God which is repentance. Because with repentance, you have to first confess that you have sinned. But instead, we do the next step. We cover up. We cover it up. Genesis 3.10. He answered, this is God. I heard you in, no, this is Adam to God. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. 
And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? You know, I think there was, this was a moment when God's grace was extended right there. And he could say, yes, God, I sinned. I'm sorry. And this might be a whole different situation right now. Another thing we see in this fenced-in area is the mighty cover-up. The bad behavior, the sin gets covered up. There's no deliverance or forgiveness because after all, when you are in the fence, you are a sheep. So act like a sheep, right? Don't act like a donkey. Act like a sheep. So with no real hope of ever being a sheep, you get fenced in an area where there are a lot of donkeys and they're wearing sheep, sheep's wool coats. And when you're constantly hiding your stuff, it's impossible to find intimacy. And that makes us even more miserable. But you actually look more holy because you separate yourself from the others to continue the charade of hiding sin and shortcomings. So you lack intimacy, but your separation looks more holy because you have separated yourself. Like a magician, like a magician says, get looking at my left hand or to my hot assistant, don't look at my right hand where I'm actually changing the things that I don't want you to see. We cover with a religious facade. Not you guys. Probably someone watching online. Then when we're good at blaming others and separating ourselves to cover up the junk in our lives, we take the final bite of the fruit and we become judgmental. Point out others' actions to relieve pressure on us. We're separated and holy, and we make sure everyone is aware of that because we point out other people's issues while never focusing on ourselves. Some people call that plank eye. Before you get the speck out of your brother's eye, take the plank out of your own. And all of this is why we're here, because we're tired of church, right? That's why I'm here. We're tired of religion. This is why so many people are dropping out of church at young ages and not returning, because they have witnessed all of this, and they've just had enough. They don't want any more of it. I don't want any more of it, any more of that mess. That this is not Jesus. This is not what God established with a new covenant. That's why it's called a new covenant. Look how he encourages us, encourages us in Matthew 11, verse 28 and 30. And I'm reading from the message because it says it so well. Are you tired? Worn out? Burn out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to make a real, how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms 
of grace. I love that. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Are you heavy? Are you heavy? He wants to help you learn the unforced rhythms of his grace. I say, yes, 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 I'm tired of religion. I'm tired of the games, the cover-up, and the junk. I'm tired of being controlled while the whole time being told to live in freedom. I'm tired of feeling bound by sin while the whole time I'm told I can be free from sin. Then what you're really, what you are really hungry for is what you were actually created to be like, and that is to not live in the fence, but to drink from the well. The well is different. Living at the well is different. I stay close to the well, not because I'm forced or confined or even require. I stay close to the well because it's life. It is life to me. I recognize that I can't survive if I stray too far from the well of life. The well gives me life. It keeps me safe. It refreshes and sets me free. And the well is Jesus. He is the well of life. The well is relational. It's not about rules and regulations, but about relationship. I've been married 45 years to this woman. She knows me better than anybody else on earth other than God. And it's our relationship that, that's, that we've managed to not kill each other all this time and to have such a deep, intimate intimate relationship with one another. And God wants that for each one of us. That's why we're called the bride. Now we cheer for that. and There is something in us that resonates with that, and we love it, but when it comes down to it, we struggle because relationships look different than rules. They operate differently. No two relationships on the planet are the same because they are all different. And we struggle when we get, a, get to get, we struggle when we get a relationship with Jesus and everything is cool, but then we, then we, we, we freak out because we expect the relationship to look like ours. We look at somebody else. We get in our eyes off of Jesus. And when we do that, we're taking our eyes off the lover of our relationship and putting it on man. And you can't do that. You can't do that. I was so low. I was lower than a caterpillar's belly at this church because of all the stuff that's gone on. I was so low. And I was, I was about to, I was, I was being talked in to quitting. Shut it down. Until the one who I'm in relationship with, the lover of my soul, the well that refreshes me said, what are you doing? I didn't have anything I couldn't say. He knew. He knew my heart. He said, I told you to plant this church. And I'll tell you when to stop. Stop listening 
to man. I want to tell you that, church. Stop listening and getting your advice everywhere else except from him. The lover of your soul, your well, your refreshment, your resting place. One of the characteristics of living at the well is this. You ready? Freedom. Real freedom. Relaxed. Not uptight. Not worried or stressed about God. Enjoy your relationship with Jesus. He's to be enjoyed. The joy of the Lord is your strength. When you fall in love with someone those first few weeks, or even after you get married and your honeymoon time, it's all ushy-gushy, lovey-dovey, right? This is how a relationship with Christ is supposed to be. John 10.10 says this, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. An abundant life. But the verse we normally lean to is this. I have come that you might have life and a life that is more stressed and tense. Life, live life on the edge. And if you slip, you will burn in hell for eternity. Who told you that verse? That's not the word of God. It's not what it says. Living at the well is a life full of joy and fun. The well in ancient times was a social gathering place. It was the earliest form of the soda fountain shop from the 50s. Some of you remember that. It's the coffee shop of the 2000s. It is the Facebook of the 2023. Oh, dear God, I hope it's better than that. Where there is water, there is life. And where there is life, there is fun. Fun. Are you a fun person? It's okay. I give you permission to be a fun person. Don't be a stick in the mud. My wife says, don't turn into that old crotchety man. Get off of my lawn, guy. Sometimes I'm like that. And I'm working on it. I'm working on it, right? Get off of my lawn. Enjoy life. Please laugh. Everybody laugh right now. Just laugh. Ha, 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 Enjoy life. God gave it to you. He gave it to you. That's right. Not wandering around, wringing your hands, wondering if this is right and if this is wrong. I trust the Holy Spirit that lives in you. I trust the Holy Spirit that lives in each one of you. If you've asked Jesus to be your Lord, he sent his spirit to live inside of you. And you may or may not be filled or have an experience of being filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and having the manifestations that we talk about so much. But I promise you, even if you haven't had that experience, he lives inside of you. And he's not an old fuddy-duddy. He's funny. You know how I know that? Because Jesus was funny. You know how I know that? I, I don't, can't see his jokes in the Bible. But kids flock to him. And children do not flock to sourpusses. If the kids don't come around you or they run from you, you better lighten up. 
It's time for you to get a little bit more fun in your step, right? We get to have fun because at the well, we also experience innocence. Innocence. Isn't that a refreshing thing? Doesn't matter what you've done or what's happened. Innocence is yours. Sins forgiven. Then we are justified. We are innocent. We're forgiven. Heart and mind clean. Clean. Approach church with childlikeness. It's not shallow. It's not uneducated. It's simply childlike. Be childlike. It's called simple faith that moves mountains, and it's refreshing. If you need a, a brush-up brush course on that, go help in one of the kids' classes sometime, and God will reveal his childlike faith to you in a powerful way. As a matter of fact, I would almost, or I, I would just as well have you pray for me or have them pray for me because they pray and believe it. You, I'm not so sure. I hope you're believing it. Heart and mind clear, approaching with the child likeness, which brings the third thing, or I don't know what number it is, but the next thing, grace. Grace. We've talked a lot about grace. Pastor Grant used to teach on grace a lot here. Recognizing that you can't earn it, you can only accept it. Do you hear what I just said? You can't earn it. You know that part. But you still have to accept his grace. You have to accept it. He's offering it. You have to accept it. That's harder than you think. It is. When you earn something, then we feel like we deserve it. Right? And then that idea gets all into our spiritual lives and we develop the earn it, deserve it mentality. But the Bible tells us that there's only one thing that we deserve, <laughs> that judgment, right? So you can work all you want, act as holy as you want, put all the actions towards it all you want, but all you will deserve is judgment because you can't do it. It's hopeless. But that's an encouraging word because you can't do it, so you get to receive grace. Because he can do it. Because he can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. With God, nothing is impossible. Jesus said, in that day you'll ask nothing to me, but you'll ask my Father in my name, and he will do it. So Jesus came. Jesus came to restore the relationship with us. To restore the relationship of us with God. Look at John 17. Read it sometime. Read it just by yourself. And listen to his prayer to the Father. Oh, Father, even as you and I are one, I pray that they would be one with us. Just as I am one with you, that they would be one with us. That means that you would be one with the Father. Just like Jesus is one with the Father. Man, that's grace. That's grace right there. Only thing we can do is accept it. We just have to accept it. I, I need it. I accept it. I need your grace. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. 
wellspring of life. We drink from the well, and then that well gets in us, and we become that wellspring of life. We drink from the well, and that well gets in us, and then we become the wellspring of life. We are called to drink from the well and be the spring of life for others. We are the refreshment now for others. So I conclude with this. There is another way to do church. A new way to be the church. It's so old, it's new. It started when God planted, planted a garden in Genesis. The restoration of it began when Christ spread his arms on the cross for us. I don't know about you, but Christ made it possible for us to live by the well of life and not be confined by the fence. You know, when you're in the fence and you're confined in the fence, one of your goals is to put other people in the fence too with you. I don't want to live in a fence. I don't want to live in offense or live in offense. Same fence. I want to be free. I want a church that's free. I want a church that wants to be free. I want a church that wants to see other people free. And the best way to do that is to be free yourself. To be free. So when someone comes in back, we can say freedom and mean it and not tell them all the things they have to do to be free. There really is a way to live free. It takes more faith, but it yields greater joy, greater life, and greater fulfillment. And I declare that lift, lift's going to be a well, a wellspring of life. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we love you so much. You are so gracious to us. And tonight I pray that everyone that's hearing my voice, that listened to this message tonight, that they would reach out and accept your grace, your loving kindness, your forgiveness, your embrace. God, that they would move beyond the fence that's hemmed them in and come to the well and be refreshed by your presence, by your intimacy. Would you help them do that with every head bowed, every eye shut, no one looking around? Just talk to him for a minute. Tell him what you need. Tell him what you need right now. He knows what you need, but tell him. It might be something like, oh, God, help me. Help me with this financial situation. Help me with my marriage. Father, help me with this loneliness, with the loss of my wife. Help me, God, with the turmoil of this marriage or this divorce or this job or this friend or this illness, whatever it is. Help me. The key is say, help me, and he will. Thank you, Father. You know what we need before we ask. But you love to hear us crying out to you.
Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.